I'm pleased to present a fellow I would call a friend, uh, though we've never met in the flesh, and much of our conversations have taken place on his internet radio program from the Grassy Knoll, of which I've appeared on, oh, maybe four or five times now, and which I really enjoy appearing on because he conducts his show uh, in a manner that is really engaging and gives his guests an opportunity uh, to expound on their uh, uh, subject matters as opposed to many shows I've appeared on over the last couple of years where the host is simply concerned with sound bites and will never let you finish a thought. Uh, not so with uh, my guest who goes by the handle of Visigoth. And when I asked him to send me a biography via email the other day, this is what I received from him. Quote, I'm just a U.S. citizen with 55 years under my belt who has seen and heard things that didn't jibe with the information our textbooks and mainstream news agencies were feeding us. In 2000, I decided to find out whether conspiracy was fact or theory. When I found out the real deal, Harry Spencer and I began a half-hour weekly pirate radio show in July 2002. Harry founded and named the show The Grassy Knoll. Since its inception, we went on to broadcast on local AM stations until they were sold. The show now streams daily on Live365.com. However, all the while, we have been liberal with the archives and have attracted a larger and larger audience among the English-speaking nations of the world. The majority of our shows are dedicated to suppressed history, religion, and the occult, cultural and pop history, and some paranormal topics. End quote. So there you are. We welcome now uh, Physigoth. Uh, Do I get to talk yeah. now? Are you there? <laughs> yeah. Can you hear me? Yeah. All right, great, great. Yeah, it's kind of weird being on this side of the microphone, brother. Yeah, turning the table on you. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. So, uh, the year 2000 from your bio appears to have been a pivotal year for mm. you, as you mentioned. Uh, what made you uh, start uh, questioning consensus reality? What types of information did you uh, discover that helped change your worldview? Uh, part of it is what happens throughout one's lifetime. I, I'm not even, we've not even talked about this, but I'm going to guess this happened to you as well. Um, with me, I, being born in 51, um, I had a chance to uh, be in earshot uh, of, uh, let's say, World War II veterans who didn't think you were listening when you were listening. Things are said. Um, I had a, um, an uncle who was um, OSS, the foreman of the CIA. Uh, and as I recall, uh, when he used to get a couple under his belt during Christmas time, he used to talk about what he did with the OSS, and he'd go into this lugubrious lamenting of, uh, you know, this was treason, this was treason. All right, it goes on and it goes on. And, you, you know, you forget about these things. You've got a life to live. You've got skirts to chase in your, you know, your salad days. Uh, but they always stay there. I, at least I think for most of us, you know, they stay there, but it, it has to be awakened. One of the things I'm sure you heard also, Adam, when you were growing up is this unseen hand that always, you know, steers countries, but it uh, doesn't matter who's in government. And it's like, well, what are you talking about? You know, what is behind these things? Okay, 2000. I'm doing a graduate um, independent study. Um, I amassed these books by science fiction writers, Philip K. Dick, uh, Burgess, uh, Aldous Huxley, uh, Bradford's, you know, Fahrenheit 451. My point was, what about the science fiction of the mid-20th century? What it portended uh, or what it foretold of what might happen in the 21st century? And when I got done reading them, and I also, this is to include um, Ayn Rand's uh, Atlas Shrugged, I, I started to say to myself, you know, all of them have a pretty negative outlook. Many of them are extremely accurate about what has happened. Is this a coincidence, or is something going on that I'm not getting? And that's when I started to look. I also heard an Alex Jones show uh, just randomly going through, a, you know, playing AM roulette in my truck. And I heard him talking for the first time, thought he was nuts, but on the other hand, you know, I know something's going on out there. And so that's what's, that, uh, from which this sprang. And what I did, first of all, is go back and find books that have been suppressed, uh, books about Pearl Harbor, uh, you, you know, you name it, even by the bad guys. George Bernard Shaw, The uh, Intelligent Women's Guide to Socialism. And then you start to realize, you know, that we have been, I guess, you know, it is, it is a matrix. We have been insulated, believing in a world that is strictly um, fantasy. Uh, and, uh, and the thing is, once you find that out, you can do one of two things. I mean, you can commit suicide, or you just say, okay, I understand this now, and get on with it. And I think one of the ways I try to manifest uh, my anger in a positive way 
was to do the show and say, folks, I don't care what you think, but I'm telling you the truth. Go look for it yourself. And, and Adam, that's the way it came about. Um, yeah, you mentioned some interesting things. Uh, looking into history, you can certainly draw some parallels between Pearl Harbor, you mentioned, mm -hmm. uh, and uh, 9 11. Mm -hmm. um, have you seen other parallels like that in your research? Uh, yeah, a bit. The, uh, let me just name titles while I'm doing it in case people want to check it out themselves. Sure. There's a book called The Final Secret of Pearl Harbor, written in 1954 by retired Rear Admiral Robert Theobald, who served at Pearl. Um, Devin Adair was the publisher. Obviously, you know, Viking was never going to touch that book. And in it, he clearly documents, and also Robert Stinnett did later in uh, The Day of Deceit, also U.S. Navy World War II, that they, they absolutely knew that the Japanese were coming. It was a joke. Uh, I mean, not you know, a joke. I mean, that, that nobody knew is crazy. That's on my end. Don't worry about that. Someone's trying to uh, call. Anyway. Yeah. So, I mean, he states it. <clears throat> um, and, and then, you know, you take a look around and you say to yourself, okay, now here we've got 9-11. Now, it is not unlike governments to kill people for a purpose. They sacrifice their own. Pearl was one of them. The Lusitania sinking was another. The whole deal with the Maine being, uh, you know, possibly sabotaged to start wars. So when 9-11 came about and after the smoke literally cleared, you started taking a look at this as, is this, a, and of course you've heard this, it's gotten trite, was this a new Pearl Harbor? Of course it was. It had the biggest body count of all the events, but it certainly was, you know, much like Pearl. And can you imagine if you were to say Pearl was an inside job uh, anywhere near 1941 to 1945, they'd hang you. Now it's like common knowledge. What do you think is going to happen with this? Hmm. Yeah, pretty, boy, pretty uh, thought-provoking area when you get into uh, what went down on 9-11. Uh, so you, you basically think it was an inside job. Is that what you're saying? Yeah, but you see, again, this is not a Bush thing. This is not a Republican thing. Uh, to me, you know, president's been handled in his documentation that might uh, prove that point out very clearly. That's when we talked about this unseen hand. I mean, right. presidents are given an agenda to uh, execute, basically, and if they don't, they get executed. Uh, hence what happened to Kennedy. You don't change your mind on these guys. Um, yeah, so... Um, I'm saying that they definitely knew it. I don't know who actually were the plumbers that got it all done um, with the you know with the explosions and the detonations and such. I don't know, but I do know that that was a setup job, and I don't I don't dislike the Republicans any more than anyone else. I mean, obviously a, a Democrat sat over uh, Pearl Harbor, and a Democrat sat over uh, the Lusitania sinking, which was Wilson. And it's not a party thing. It's that governments have turned on us, and and a lot of people are very slow to come to the thinking that they are not are advocates. They play like they are, but they are actually adversarial. I learned to see, you know, past the two-party system quite a while ago. It's not a two-party system. It's basically uh, a one-party mm -hmm. system. You call it the skull and bones or whatever, but, mm -hmm. you know, they're all in bed together. You look at uh, Clinton and his relationships with the uh, Bush. There's no different. You know, there's a uh, so-called other ends of the uh, spectrum, you know, you have uh, some of the, polit you know, a few of the public uh, Republicans on the far right and a few on the uh, left, but most are in that uh, middle area, and they're, you know, basically uh, puppets of uh, corporations and the mm -hmm. military-industrial complex. I'm throwing these titles out not to sound erudite. I mean, I read it. I mean, I did the wet work. But I think if people were to go to these works, they could judge for themselves if they're truly interested in finding out what's going on. Maybe I'm wrong. Huh? Lay them on it. Well, there's one now. You mentioned something very interesting, uh, corporations. I'm, I'm a kid. I'm growing up, and I hear, you know, the stuff about Mussolini saying corporate fascism. Uh, as time would go on, I would watch the movie Rollerball, where corporations get involved and make decisions. And I'm like, well, they're only businesses. You know, what? what what's the big deal? But... Now, we take a look at the robber baron families from the late 19th century. Uh, Carnegie, Rockefeller, Morgan, Vanderbilt, and those characters. You realize that they amassed untold wealth. They partnered with, uh, shall we say, some of the more dark powers of Europe, who have always wanted a one-world government. And uh, you see them start to create tax-exempt foundations that do some very strange things. There was a council for two committees in the 1950s, the Cox and the Reese, that were trying to find out what these foundations were doing and how strange it all was going. Both 
committees had a plant on them from the corporations who obstructed the um, investigation both times. So this gentleman, Rene Wormser, who was a counsel for those committees, wrote a book called Foundations, Their Power and Influence. And basically he just said, look, folks, you know, this is what happened. This is what continues to go on. Uh, it's a little strange if you consider these people Americans, but why are they trying to socialize America? And so I would say, uh, yeah, corporations. You look at the Rockefellers uh, being involved um, in integral members of the Council on Foreign Relations, the Bilderbergs, uh, the Trilateral Commission. You know, all these non-governmental organizations that do take care of business, well, we see this puppet show called politics. As long as we're watching the left hand, actually it's the right hand, the left hand, which is sinister, is taking care of business while we're distracted looking the other way. And in 1921, the Council on Foreign Relations was created, and I would submit that from that time onward, um, they, whoever's sitting in the Oval Office was uh, just getting the word, if you know what I mean. Was, they don't make policy. Well, it's a uh, strategy of divide and uh, conquer. Mm -hmm. You uh, support uh, a lot of times, uh, you know, the, the good book is... Uh, None dare call it conspiracy, conspiracy. Mm -hmm. where it showed that uh, group of uh, bankers, a lot of them out of New York, uh, basically uh, funded uh, Hitler, mm -hmm. which uh, should certainly raise some curious eyebrows of what's really going on, you know, with all the uh, flag waving then and now. On my website, Visigoth.com, on the home page, there is a link that says GM DuPont and Hitler. One of the things that um, hit me when I was growing up at about 25, um, my boss was a young guy, only eight years older than I, and, you know, pretty hip, and he used to keep a stack of penthouses in the office. Um, and so one day, uh, besides thumbing through the pictures, I came upon an article uh, called The Unholy Alliance by a gentleman by the name of DeBaggio. And in it, he talks about GM, DuPont, and Ford, amongst others, building uh, the infrastructure, partnering with IG Farben, the industrial arm of the Nazis, and, and basically making money on both sides of the, of the uh, not only of the war, but on both sides of the ocean. And of course, Penthouse would be the kind of magazine that this article would get out in because life wasn't going to touch it, look wasn't going to touch it, Time and Newsweek were not going to touch it. Yeah. And he documented it because uh, Tobaggio apparently wrote this article just as certain uh, documents became declassified. And you're right. And Daddy Bush's grandfather, Prescott, and Harriman, the powers in New York for quite some time, um, spent a lot of money uh, building up Germany for that World War II and then turning around and building up the United States. That's who makes, that's who wins in the wars. It's all about money. It's all about bankers and industrialists. Joe Kennedy was another one. Mm -hmm. yeah. Yep, absolutely. I mean, the Bronfins in Canada, uh, they, all get, they all get fat uh, when wars occur. And I remember, you remember the movie Reds from the early to mid-80s? Sure. Oh, one of the things that was so funny, but now it's even more poignant, when they open up the movie and Warren Beatty's playing the character of John Reed, who was a Marxist and was buried eventually in Russia, and he's at, on the dais for this dinner, and there's all these, you know, fat white men with mutton chop sideburns and stuff uh, waiting to hear John talk about what he found in Russia. And they said, well, uh, John, can you tell us what the war's about over there? Do you remember this scene? Uh, it's been a while. <laughs> well, you know, Beatty always has that stupid smirk. You gotta love. He gets up, the place quiets, and he says, "Profits," and sits back down. And all of a sudden, it's like this little murmuring goes across. You know, like that's it, and that, and that, and that's it. It's profits. <laughs> you know, you create boogeymen so you can fight them, and then a lot of people make money. So you know, exactly. So, um, is there a uh, viz uh, reading list on your uh, website? Well, it's funny you mention that. I used to keep two sites. One of them was visigratsgrassynoll.org. And I think I still have the files there. And um, a number of people had kind of resonated with what I was thinking and what you said without knowing this took place. And I think what I'd like to do is get them back up again and let people. I, I do very brief uh, synopses because, you know, it's, it's, it ain't me. Read the book. Yeah, and I think I'm going to reinstitute that because I think if people were to read that information, uh, you'd be hard-pressed to say, you know, that there aren't conspiracies. In fact, honestly, Adam, the only conspiracies, conspiracies there are uh, is the history we don't know about. Pretty As profound, my, huh? Uh, friend Ken Thomas of uh, Steam Shovel uh, uh -huh. Press says, uh, with his book, it's uh, uh, 
no conspiracy, all theory. Mm. <laughs> Is that right? Does he really believe that? He, he doesn't care for the uh, term uh, conspiracy theories. He prefers to call it uh, parapolitical, his uh, research. And uh, some people have used, uh, when they uh, refer to uh, people looking in these things, uh, conspiracy theorists in a derogatory sense. Mm -hmm. Uh, there was a book, oh boy, all right, I can't remember it right now, it might come to me. Um, Actually, I got that phrase wrong, his, his motto is all conspiracy, yeah. no theory. <laughs> yeah, that makes, okay, I, I got you, that makes more sense. Um, I read a book from 64, and um, I know what it was. Kennedy obviously had been assassinated in 63, and so in, uh, in 64 this book comes out, and it is a little bit kiss-and-tell thing about the CIA, but nothing compared uh, to what has been exposed since then. Mm -hmm. I, I almost think it was like a Woodward-Bernstein kind of thing, you know, where they made a big to-do about it so that everybody thinks they really told the whole story, but they didn't. But there, in a review, uh, I think it was in Newsweek, of the book, which slammed it, um, the guy used the term conspiracy theory. And I'm like, I never realized that that thing was 40 years old. But when you talk to people and they start not to hear stuff that they're hearing on the mainstream, you can see in their eyes, the first thing they're going to say to you is, oh, you're a conspiracy theorist. And what I tell them is, that's an indication of how brainwashed they are, that they would knee-jerk react like that when they hear stuff they haven't heard on the alphabet networks. Mm -hmm. you know, and it is. I mean, the there is a conspiracy. My Lord, I mean, that's what the world runs by. And those who are the conspirators, of course, don't want the light shed upon them. So when people say, how can it be done? The way I figure in three easy steps, uh, you corner the money, uh, you corner the mainstream um, information outlets to include textbooks, and then you buy the governments. And you got it. And then the military does your bidding because the government tells them to do such at the behest of the conspirators. Well, we see that, you know, more and more of uh, everything being uh, globalized and taken over, you know, from, you talk about the... Uh, all mainstream media, media these days, uh, you know, all the uh, radio stations are getting gobbled up and, mm -hmm. you know, <laughs> turning into one station basically with one point of view. Uh, same thing with the network uh, television. Mm -hmm. the, the last uh, bastion of free speech here these days seems to be the uh, internet, uh, you know, with uh, the work you're doing and. Alex Jones, among others, and still, you know, there's shortwave radio out there uh, as well. Well, um, and uh, you mentioned an interesting point about uh, Penthouse and uh, Playboy as well. Uh, mm -hmm. Back in the day, I haven't uh, recent year. I don't even know if they're uh, still publishing uh, Penthouse. I haven't seen a uh, Playboy for a while, but uh, you know, over the years, these were uh, excellent forums. Uh, for uh, you know, cutting-edge people writing about conspiracy theories. Uh, interestingly enough, uh, Mae Brussel, I'm sure you're familiar mm -hmm. with her work, she uh, was a featured writer and uh, playgirl of all things. Yeah. Which... Uh, yeah, I know. But these were the only outlets you could get those stories out in. And, and yeah. for, you know, I mean, once in a while, even the National Enquirer or some other, other you know, what we would call... Tabloids came up with some good stuff because that's the only place it could get out. But of course, it got mixed with other rather questionable material, and so the whole the whole content was demonized. Yeah, and that's how it is with any story coming through the mainstream media or tabloid press or whatever. You, you need to use your own intelligence and try to uh, sift it out, separate the wheat from chaff, and get to the core of what's. Uh, going on here, you know, do your uh, own research. Uh, uh, nowadays, people are just happy uh, to be sappy and mm -hmm. sit in front of the television let, uh, you know, Fox News feed them intravenously with their crap. Let me, let me ask you something. This is, a, 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 I think, a great example of what's going on. Um, and since you don't know where I'm going with this, but I'm guessing if you paid any attention, even cursorily to what was on uh, TV news in the last week or so. Uh, in the newspapers, they carried AP stories, and on nightly news like NBC or whatever. Did you see where this um, investigation has arisen again with the Pat Tillman incident? Did you catch any wind of that last week? 
I didn't. Uh, when you know when that uh, thing first came down with uh, Tillman, uh, you know, shortly afterwards, you started hearing these uh, rumors of friendly uh, fire. You know, so I was curious about what was going on, but I haven't uh, caught any of these latest stories. What's up? All right, now here's where I've been very fortunate, uh, having worked in a. Um a university library for five years, uh, and being in a particular uh, department, all books had to come through me. Uh, a lot of um, them were uh, donations, again, where I found things like The Final Secret of Pearl. I mean, real chestnuts. And I'm, I'm wondering if, there was, if that was a little bit of uh, providence. Okay, having said that, anybody who's near a university library, try to make friends, if you can, with reference librarians. If you can do that, then get into the databases that can, that can go back in time uh, LexisNexis is one search engine. Uh, ProQuest is another. Actually, they're databases. Okay, here's where I'm going with this. Mm -hmm. In January, <clears throat> February issue of The Humanist, uh, there was an article uh, by a uh, prop up, I think he's in SUNY Buffalo, uh, by the name of Michael Nimmin, who wrote an article, Who Killed Pat Tillman? And in it, um, it's, not, it's, it's a, a very indicting story uh, of those who uh, wanted to see him not come back to America and tell what he really thought about the war. Because they used him as a poster boy, you know, NFL to uh, special forces. Well, I think what has happened is that that has finally really been fanned, the flames of that story, which include quotes from the family. So this guy isn't speculating. Uh, and it, it does clearly show that he was whacked. That was fratricide. Um, I'll just read you one quick graph. Is that okay, Adam? Oh, go for it. Uh, he was supposed to have met with Norm Chomsky when he came back. Now, Norm Chomsky to me is, is a little questionable, but, you know, if they're not against you, they're with you. But he was going to come back and talk to Chomsky because this guy was, above other things, besides being an excellent athlete and a warrior, he also had a brain and was very much the historian. They sent him to Iraq before he went to Afghanistan, and he had no clue as to what was going on in Iraq. Uh, he was completely... Um, I guess, pissed off about what was taking place. But off he went to Afghanistan, which he thought was legitimate because of, guess what, 9-11. So he was going to come back and talk to Chomsky, and he was going to pop off about what was going on. They couldn't have that happen. So here's one paragraph. As both wars droned on, Tillman, the picture-perfect poster boy, evolved into something of a wild card. With a Chomsky meeting on the horizon, there existed a very real possibility that Tillman, in the weeks leading up to the 2004 presidential election, might go public with his anti-war, anti-Bush views, dealing a critical blow to the very foundation of the Bush administration's propaganda pyramid. That day never came. However, on April 22, 2004, Tillman was killed while on patrol in Afghanistan by three American bullets to the head. And it gets better. Now, what I'm doing is I've, I've made a PDF of this. And let me say this, Adam. I'll put it up on the website, um, you know, within <clears throat> hopefully a day or two. I'll put it up on the homepage, and you, you can read Who Killed Pat Tillman, and your audience can do so as well. Um, this was another wag-the-dog situation, such as the Jenna, Jessica Lynch contrived the rescue, and even Saddam's being found in a hole uh, in which he was placed, uh, you know, minutes before they went and found him. He was sitting on him, too. Three bullets in the head doesn't sound like friendly fire. No, and, uh, and of course, I thought you might be going there, but isn't it interesting? Three assassins, three bullets, headshot. Mm -hmm. Makes you kind of think of uh, a Masonic rub, doesn't yeah, it? Yeah, very symbolic. Um, <clears throat> now, what they did on the news is they started saying uh, they're focusing on the three shooters. This is so pathetic. Because three what the shooters. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Talk, talk about uh, Masonic uh, mm -hmm. symbolism, the three tramps in Daily Plaza, and, of course, uh, uh, Freemasonic lore talks about uh, threes quite a bit. Sure. I mean, that's that's a very spiritual number, you know, coming down from the trinities and such like that. And, um, but what's been happening on mainstream news, they know that this is, is happening. And this is what they'll do. They'll air the show, and then they'll try to take the heat out of it and hope it all dies away. Mm -hmm. So what they're saying is they're focusing on the three shooters, one of them who said he had bad eyesight. I mean, this is so pathetic. You know, I mean, what is this guy, cross-eyed? Of course, there always has to be a scapegoat, too. Well, yeah. Now, the second guy says, well, I saw somebody next to him who looked like, you know, a muhadin or whatever, 
uh, and so I just started shooting. And then the third guy says, well, they were shooting. They look quite a bit alike, uh, <laughs> Hillman and Mujahideen. Well, yeah, that's right. Here he is in camos, and this guy, and even if he is, in, you know, an Arab mufti, so what? You still got a ranger there, you know? Yeah. And then the third guy says he just shot where everybody else was shooting. If that isn't, if that isn't like maximum, maximum lane, all right? And then how many Americans going to sit there, you know, drooling over their TV dinners and go, oh, okay. I, I could see uh, uh, Dustin Hoffman and Nero from Wag the Dog coming up with uh, this, this scenario. Okay, and we'll have, yeah, three uh, three uh, mm-hmm. dupes here, and this will be this one story, and, uh, you know. Well, you know, it, this just came on. Uh, Wag the Dog passed through one of our independent TV stations because I don't have cable. Uh-huh. So we taped it, and I watch it because I can't stay in the commercials. So my wife and I are watching it, and, I mean, now with all these years gone by, um, I... I you know, as the movie went on, I just sank deeper and deeper in my chair going, the audacity of them to go ahead and do it. But because they do it in broad daylight, and they call it drama, you know, or fiction, nobody believes that's exactly the way that things get done. Yeah. And in that 91 fiasco over in Kuwait, I mean, where, the, where that, that Arab woman was, uh, was bawling that, you know, the, the uh, Iraqi troops came in and threw the kids, you know, from the, and, and I guess it was uh, pediatrics on the, on, the, uh, on the floor and killed them. She is a relative of the Kuwaiti royalty, and it was an advertising firm that created that whole thing, right? And, and this is the stuff that O'Reilly goes up with when he wants to shout down anybody who doesn't agree with him. Um, he brings something like that up, and you turn around and you say to him, you know, that thing was a contrivance. And he's like, well, where did you get that, on the Internet? It's like, okay, Bill, let me get it straight. <laughs> Any information you have is good. And whatever anybody has that opposes that is bad. Okay, no problem. But there you go. Wag the dog. And Hollywood, as you well know, um, is a way that much truth is told. And even if it is in an occult kind of like sinister um, humor, um, you'll, you'll find out the shape of things to come uh, in, in certain movies that have been, are being, and will be made. Yeah. Um, so you mentioned, uh, I, I know you're a student of literature, and uh, what was your uh, project you were uh, doing in uh, college? This was some kind of uh, thesis or something, looking at the science fiction uh, yeah. writers and how they uh, apparently were foretelling the future. Yeah, it didn't. It didn't necessarily start out that way. But as soon as I started getting into it, I changed basically the theme to that. What I was looking for, really, and and you'll agree with this. I mean, you you stay mostly in the in the range of of uh, fact, which is really strange in fiction. I mean, so that's 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 great stuff. Um, but you know, when you look back and want to know what a certain time was like, if you go to textbooks and stuff, it's very vanilla. You never really know what people were eating or what they were watching or listening to. But, but fiction works in, in those contemporaneous periods will tell you that. And so much truth about an era, a society, a culture is told in fiction works. I mean, you can even take um, anything by um, Steinbeck. You know, you can learn a lot about what was going on. I mean, look at the Depression era. I mean, Grapes of Wrath is a work of fiction, but how much was told to you about the, the, the way things were? Sure. And that's why I started off with that. But then I started to realize, you know something? I'm looking at these books that were written 50 to 60 years ago, and most of them hit it right on the head. Are they that prescient, or did they know something? And what is it that they knew? And uh, what, what were they hitting on the head? You've mentioned uh, Orwell to me quite a bit. Orwell, and I tell you, uh, Adam, we got to get together some other time, even if I have you come on my show or whatever. I just picked up a book written about Orwell called The Road to Airstrip One. And, man, it does confirm what... A bunch of us, uh, some listeners who are kind of Orwellian students, have been um, positing, and that is Orwell probably abandoned socialism, probably was very pessimistic about the way things would turn with government. But in 1984 is not, by any means, a satire. That is a warning, and that's what they've said in the book. The, the, uh, I guess the, uh, the academics have come down on the fact that he was not trying to prophesy but to warn people about what was coming. And man, folks should read 1984, either a second or a third time or for the first time. And you can read it online if that's okay, if that's what people want to do. I mean, there are some actually chilling, chilling excerpts about what um, has occurred. And what I did once on a show is, you know, Emmanuel Goldstein, Adam, is the bad guy that everybody hates. Mm -hmm. Nobody really sees him, but they see his image. 
And that should even start to sound familiar to what's going on recently. What I did was I took a section where it talked about Emmanuel Goldstein, and every place where that name popped up, I inserted Osama bin Laden. Let me tell you, it'll raise the, the hair on the back of your neck. So Orwell was a good guy. I don't think he was saying this is a great thing. I think he was telling folks, you're going to get manipulated, and this is how it's going to happen. And he knew, because he was an MI5 or 6. You know, he had been around. So um, he was pretty much uh, aware of what's going on. But, but here's another one for you. H.G. Wells. You know, everybody thinks of him as a big science fiction writer. Well, yeah, he is. And I tell you, if you, if you reread The Time Machine with the whole uh, paradigm with the uh, Morlocks, and uh, what were the other ones? The Eloy. Well, check that out for a cast society that's coming. Also, Wells wrote The Open Conspiracy, and get this, New World Order. And you can read them online as well. Wells, uh, a lot of the Fabian socialists out of uh, Great Britain, uh, the Rothschilds, they all wanted world government with uh, basically with a, an oligarchy, the ones who get it. Huxley was not being satirical when he wrote Brave New World. He basically, well, I mean, he's the guy that had coined the phrase, love your servitude. Do you remember that at all? <laughs> not exactly. All right. Folks can also go on the net, uh, look for uh, Huxley plus speech plus Berkeley, plus 1962 if you want to, you'll come up with a speech he gave close to the end of his life. In, uh, he called it the ultimate revolution. And in it, he said, yes, he says, you can be made to love your servitude. And that's what these characters have in mind. It's pretty scary. Well, it is. And you know what? There's a saying that says good people... No, it says angels don't know what it is to be lost. And, that's, and it's true, because good people... I mean, they have no, and they, they really don't have a reason, but they don't have those bad bones to understand just how evil things are below and above the surface. Mm -hmm. And I mean, it is, folks. I mean, you know, I mean, my wife and I don't lead some kind of depressing life. I mean, if anything, it makes me love every day longer because I don't know when this is all going to end. It makes, you know, it makes me not take things for granted. So I'm really happy for that. I also wanted to go to my grave being told the truth. I just don't want to be lied to, if you will. Yeah. Hey, well, it is a scary world, but it's also a very uh, interesting yes. world, I think, you know? You need to make the uh, best of it, but you can't turn a blind eye either. No, and I'll tell you, history is fascinating. History is more, and I think, and I'm not, you know, I'm not waxing you because you have me on, but, I mean, we've, you've been on because I recognize what you do is very important to the whole fabric of history as well. I mean, you know, most people would tell you that, that pop and culture is the biggest thing in their lives. So let's not fool around. It's not government, you know? And, and it, it is fascinating. Uh, it's sometimes a strange word to use because it is very, very serious, but nevertheless fascinating. And the further you go back, the more you realize it's basically the same old scam run on the peasants time and time again. So, you know, getting back to your radio show a bit, you know, you started down this path in 2000 uh, doing the uh, I guess you started the show a little later in 2002 uh, yeah July 2002 I wanted to ask you about you know some of the guests you've had on the show and what you've learned uh, from them and you know what uh, conclusions you've drawn about uh, you know the current political situation um, I guess the categories um, uh, uh, it would be history yeah, it would be government and politics. Again, like we said, uh, you know, uh, uh, pop culture, uh, the stuff that you do and Chris Knoll does, uh, and also uh, Christianity, I'm going to tell you. Um, <clears throat> also alternative medicine, which is a huge issue mm -hmm. in these days to come because you don't want to get caught in the medical triangle. And, and guess who would be behind the big pharmaceutical companies? Rockefeller, Right. I mean, the cat got into petroleum and pharmaceuticals, and what are the two biggest products probably in the world today, all right? Um, so, th so the guests that we've had on have addressed that. A lot of them have been authors. A lot of people um, I've had on have never been on a show before, um, and they've gone on to higher education, you know, <laughs> gone on to GCN and RPN, and that's fine. But I wanted to find people who were saying things that nobody else was. In the beginning, I, you know, I try to have guests on that were on GCN and RBN, which are two networks that, you know, do alternative or Patriot broadcasting, just to say, I, you know, I want to belong with the big guys. And then I said to myself, you know, this is crazy. I can't run a horse race with these characters. Why do I want to? And then I found just a whole um, vast number of 
authors and people who need to have their work be told. And that's what's happened. And I'll give you an example just recently, Adam, and this is really pretty heavy stuff. Um, I've had on uh, a woman who is the author of a book called Dunblane Unburied about the massacre of 15 elementary uh, school students in March of 1996. <laughs> and, there, and this was not, yeah, it was a lone gunman, you know, the whole recipe, but there was more to it. So she came on. No one's ever heard her. I also had on a gentleman from uh, Australia by the name of Andrew McGregor, a retired police officer, talking about the, Dun uh, the uh, sorry, Port Arthur massacre a month later, in which I think something like 35 people were killed. And I've also had on uh, a budding author who's writing a book called The Phantoms of Columbine. He's been on twice. He'll be on again next Thursday. And these people have not been heard, and they're, and they're talking about, believe it or not, uh, a recipe, um, you know, formula for... Um, creating an atrocity that gets certain things done. One of them would be gun control. Secondly, uh, also a uh, experiment, if you would, which was what Columbine was. So there's an example of, of some of the people that have been on. Now that the listenership has been very, very faithful to me, and because you want other people to inject guests and, and perspectives into your show, because otherwise it gets genetically stagnant, um, they've come up with just really great people who might either try to get me hooked up with or tell me to go after and that's what's made this thing extremely interesting uh, because of all the help I've gotten because obviously I still work my wife works you know and I mean there's just so many hours in a day and they've really you know facilitated trying to find new guests who are who are uh, you know just I mean they gotta have some credibility I have very few loonies on you know what I mean <laughs> and you're not one of them huh <laughs> I, we don't want to talk about that. No. Well, yeah, I, I think you do a great job with your uh, show. Um, you know, you mentioned you hold down a real-world uh, job. Uh, how, how much time does it take, uh, you know, producing this? Uh, you, you do a show uh, every day, five days a week, mm -hmm. right? How much actual time does that take with all the preparation and everything? You know, it does vary. Um, people will send you their works and ask you to be somewhat familiar with them when they come on. Um, it, it takes up just about everything. You know, there's, there's three things I hang on, I guess, to very, very uh, uh, trenchantly. One is that my wife and I don't get deprived of time together because this isn't going to happen again. Two, that we do have uh, some kind of recreation, uh, you know, exercise, I mean, that we do take care of our, our body. Uh, and third, that, you know, we do get reasonable sleep. Other than that, other than those three, and whatever's left after work is completely consumed by reading, by emails. Um, and if it weren't for her, uh, this, this would not happen. Uh, she'll do a lot of the production, the post-production. She does all the, actually, she does everything except sit in front of the mic. I wasn't aware of that. Uh, God bless her, honestly. We need to give our props to Lady Viz. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Um, when I started that uh, study and I started hitting on these things, I had to let her know about it because I didn't want to go too far, you know, and then lay all the stuff on her. So I, I said to her kind of like, look, I checked this out, and I'm sorry that I found it, that it's true, but it's true. And I think, you know, we got to make up our minds. Are we going to, you know, find out about it uh, and come to some kind of, a, you know, arrangement about how we live our lives? And, you know, I said, well, take a look for yourself. Uh, you know, you do what you want to do. And she came to the same conclusion. And then her folks, when we talked to them, they understand now, too. Because, it, I mean, there's nothing there. I mean, all you have to do is give it time, and you'll understand that, yeah, things do go bump in the night. Yeah. So um, there are times I have to tell you, Adam, and it, it probably occur a little bit, you know, every month, where I take a look and say, is there a time, you know, when everything that, I need to be, that needs to be said will have been said? And it's time to, you know, piss on a fire, call on the dogs, and get on, on you know, somewhere else. So, uh, But I see, you know, what you're doing uh, basically is a, uh, it's a path of uh, discovery. Yeah. You know? Yeah, it is. Uh, yeah. Hey, one question I want to ask all my guests. I'm taking a little survey here. You know, if they've seen uh, a UFO, and I guess you've had a UFO experience. Is that right? Yeah, three of them. Can we hear about them? Yeah. Uh, again, you know, we hear things, blah, blah, blah. All right, so I'll get down to it. First-hand experience. 1979, actually it was the winter of 78, 79, just before Christmas. I was working um, a one-to-five 
Saturday morning uh, shift on a rock and roll station out of a, co- a college in Vermont, Castleton State. So I used to walk because it was a short walk and it was really refreshing, you know, and, and kind of get you ready to go from 1 a.m. to 5 a.m. And as I'm walking down the street around midnight, I hear these dogs baying like it's, you know, it's like Creedence Clearwater, you know what I mean? <laughs> the old man's down the road, you know, mm-hmm. better run through the jungle. And I'm like, what's going on here? I never heard that on any other, you know, Saturday. I'm looking around, I don't see anything, and instinctively I look up, and here's this orb. Um, I, I extended my arm fully, and I would say what I could see was at the size of my thumbnail, up in the sky. All right, so I don't know where it's, you know, maybe 25,000 feet, I don't know. And um, it's got a light on top, a light on the bottom, and a, and, uh, a light. It was, there was a, a circumference, a band of light, and within that band of light, there was a pulsing light that kept going around. All right, so you get a top light that's fixed, a bottom light that's fixed, um, a, a band around it, and now a light in there. And I'm like, holy mackerel, what is this? And I'm looking at it, and I'm looking at it, and I dare not turn away. And my eyes are getting real teary because it's so cold out, and I'm trying to keep my eyelids open. And finally, I had to you know, blink and, and turn away, and I look back up, and it was gone. I'm going, what is with this? So here's what I do. I go to the radio station. You know, everybody's drunk and stoned at that time, but you got a good listening audience. And I said to him, look, I'm going to tell you straight up, folks, this is what I saw. And I'm doing it because, one, if anything comes out the next day about sightings, I'm telling you it's for real. And then I went into the set with Mr. Spaceman at Eight Miles High, and it came out of the sky, you know. And I got some drunks and stonies calling me, you know, I'm like, okay, okay. Now, then later that morning when the Boston Globe came out, uh, front page story, uh, massive sightings in the Northeast. So there you go, as one. Second one. And this one bothers me to this day. I'm a... Uh, Going cross country in my van with my uh, my late friend, robust fellow, who looked like like Friar Tuck, you know, great guy. We're running out of gas late at night on a dark, dark stretch of Route 80, going from Utah into Nevada. I mean, it is spooky, right? There's no lights, there's nothing. I mean, you can even drive off the road; you couldn't hit anything. You know, it's all desert. So I'm going, man, we're out of gas. So we go pull off at this sign that said, you know, lodging. You know, had the little icons of the gas pump. We go there, place is closed. It's like, oh, great. We get back on the road. I'm going, you know, George, I don't know how long we're going to be able to make it. And I'm telling you this, Adam, I don't know where it came from, but in front of us, I saw a pair of blinking lights. Now, you know what the old tow trucks look like, right, with the winch off the back? Mm -hmm. You remember how they used to have, like, those amber caution lights on either side? Sure. You know, on that rack that that held the winch. And I'm seeing them going, oh, awesome. This guy is a tow truck. <laughs> Let's catch up to this guy and, like, you know, try to get alongside him and tell him, look, we need gas. We'll buy gas from you. Where are you going? So we floor it while I'm driving. I punch it. 70 miles an hour. The thing doesn't get any closer. And I'm assuming it's about 100 yards ahead of me. I go to 80. And I looked at George. It was his van. I'm going, George, uh, I don't know what's going on, but can I hit this thing? Like, can we, can we pin it to 90 to 100? He goes, yeah, go ahead. And we do. And it doesn't get any closer. And I'm like, what is with this? I back off the gas, and we start going down to 50 and 40. It doesn't get any further away. All we see are these two blinking lights. And, and so George goes, look, it's probably a reflection. I'm going, okay. I shut the lights off. It's still blinking. I turn the lights back on. I'm going, I don't know about you, George. I said, but I can't take this anymore. And this thing went on for like 10 minutes. I said, look, it's driving me nuts. I said, and we came to the last rest stop in uh, Utah. And we pulled off, and I took a look, and it was still going down the road. I don't know what it was. We couldn't catch it. We couldn't lose it. It just always was. And you've heard stories about the Phoenix lights and the the desert lights and stuff like that. What do I know? Now, the the third and last one was with my wife. We're in Jersey, uh, very close to Teterboro Airport, where a lot of dirigibles um, do um, more. You know, when they're going to do, like, a football event, like, at the Giant Stadium, they always go to Teterboro. Well, we're walking, just taking a night walk in the winter. And it's a strange winter night because um, the sky is really, really clear, but there's an awful lot of low clouds. It's, I mean, it's not totally cloudy. It's just this lower layer of, of uh, clouds passing by with a really high star-filled sky. And I don't know why, but we both looked up, at, and when we got to this corner, and we see what looks like a dirigible. It was huge, and it was low. And I'm like, man, I never see these guys flying at night for the most part. I said, he's probably going to dock this thing in Teterboro. Now, a bank of clouds went by, and when they went, and when they got done, it was gone. Now, she saw it, too. So if anybody thinks I'm wackadinghoy, 
I mean, she's the prudent one of the bunch. And I'm telling you, she saw it too. And we just looked at each other. And it's like, we don't want to know. So there's the three incidents I can tell you about. Good stuff. Thanks for uh, sharing. Hey, why don't you tell me, uh, I'm going to start wrapping up here shortly. What do you have uh, going on the next uh, week or so with your show? All right. <clears throat> I got my schedule here. I should be, uh, I'm not going to worry about punching it up on the computer. Mm -hmm. um, we're going to have on, and I don't know if you listen to any of these, but this is kind of interesting. We're doing a series that's now in 16 parts called The Mothman's Photographer. Right. Andrew Colvin, who made that documentary film. Um, yeah, we're still going, part 16. In fact, i got to tell you, Adam, there, there are more than a few people who have said, why can't you get Adam and uh, Andrew on at the same time? Hey, that you know what? He uh, contacted me at... Uh one point, but we never really hooked up, and I've listened to a couple of those uh, broadcasts. They're fascinating, but yeah, tell us a little more about uh, this fellow. Well, uh, Colvin uh, is probably um, Eastern mysticism. Uh, he knows I'm a Christian. It's not a big deal, but, but you know, he talks about the Mothman and its attachment perhaps through time with the Garuda, or always this winged um, uh, creature. Yeah, I guess you could put it, you know, in the in the same uh, realm with uh, the Yeti and, and, and Bigfoot and stuff. But mm -hmm. I mean, people have seen it. So what's the story? But here's what's really good. Andrew lived in West Virginia, and I, I don't know if we talked about this, but here's one of the synchronicities that I find really interesting in, in the shows that he's done with me, and that is he lived on Woodward Street, and I forget what town it was in West Virginia. But his, the, but the two others that lived on that street, uh, at one time or another, were Charles Manson and uh, Sarah Jane Moore. Right. Okay? <laughs> All right, and you can take it from there. Andrew does agree with me, though he, he every so often will get very vocal about it, that West Virginia in the east and Colorado in the west are heavy spook states where a lot of clandestine things go on. Yeah. And you know that West Virginia is the province of the Rockefellers, and I'll leave it there. <laughs> so, And then you figure out Sarah Jane Moore's uh, attempted assassination of Ford. Well, yeah. And who was the vice president? Rockefeller. Well, what's also interesting, uh, yeah, it does appear that uh, Manson and uh, Sarah Jane Moore knew each other as children. The other attempt at assassination was by uh, Lynette Squeaky Bob, yep. mm -hmm. who was part of the Manson mm -hmm. family. And I'll tell you one thing real quick. What goes even, what gets even a little richer, is there's another author who. Um, kind of intimated that uh, if Rockefeller, had Ford been killed, Rockefeller would have been president and would have taken Daddy Bush as VP. So here you have Bush probably involved with the first of two, um, shall we say, uh, aborted assassinations. Of course, they wanted to kill Reagan uh, so that Bush could be president for those eight years. In fact, he was, because you know, Ronnie got the message, you know. So, so here's that nefarious Bush family. I mean, they are a crime syndicate. Don't get me wrong. I'm not a Democrat either. They're just a crime syndicate. Anyway, that, that, go ahead. Oh, Dick Gregory had a uh, joke about uh, the attempted Reagan assassination. It was Reagan in 80, Bush in 81. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, I mean, because he, uh, and I think that's one of the reasons why uh, Nancy Reagan gave a cold shoulder to the Republicans uh, in Bush's last election. I think much like Jackie might have done also, because they both knew what happened. They understood. And, I mean, they didn't like it, but there's not much they could do about it. So it's just like, you know, you shut up and nothing happens. But, you know, they didn't necessarily embrace the party. Um, and on the 21st, uh, we are doing a, re a pre uh, record with uh, the Collins brothers, two really intelligent guys that cover a lot of, um, I guess you would call it um, oh, esoteric, uh, but not necessarily occult um, information. Uh, they've got a book called The Ascendancy of the Scientific Dictatorship, so they understood that Huxley wasn't kidding around either. Um, on the 22nd, we're having on Matthew Tartaglia, who was a uh, EMT worker uh, with a U.S. search and rescue that was in 9-11. He was there the next day. Um, oh. And, and um, I don't – let me just say that his health is not good, uh, and it would bespeak perhaps of uh, radiation. Uh, and so this guy gets it. I mean, he always got it. And uh, when 9-11 occurred, even when he was there uh, doing his work, uh, he didn't think it was uh, two buildings that went to the ground because of fire. Uh, he's on a Wednesday. We're going to do a Thanksgiving Day show with a, um, a, young, a young man out of Pittsburgh, uh, which is, this is very unusual. The kid's a genius. But he also gets it, and he's trying to share with his, um, you know, his high school cohorts, which isn't an easy thing to do if you think about it. So 
he's coming on Thanksgiving Day, and then on Friday we're going to have Jerry White. I think you might be familiar with him. He's going to talk about weather modification, and so that's what rounds out next week. Um, and like I said, uh, Bill Zabel will be back with us Thursday. Uh, this would be tomorrow uh, to talk about Columbine and its rather uh, strange and occult past, going back to you know the Aboriginals. So that's what that's what we're looking at right now. And uh, you're supposed to come back some other time too, aren't you? In December? Mm-hmm. Uh, sure. Yeah. Anytime. Just uh, you know. Uh flip me an email here and I'll uh, get back to you, look at my calendar, yeah, anytime, Viz. Uh, uh, before we sign off here, um, tell us, uh, you know, uh, contact information where we can, uh, you know, tune into your show, all that kind of stuff. All right, uh, on Visigoth.com, and that's uh, V is in Victor, Y, Z is in Zebra, Y, G-O-T-H.com, Visigoth.com. From the website, you can hit Live365's page and download a free player if you want to listen to the show, which takes place 11 a.m. to noon Eastern Time. Um, there is, uh, at least at any time, 20 to 40 uh, audio shows we've done, which cover about two months, that people are free to use in any way, shape, or form they wish. Uh, and then eventually what I do do is I take down the, the uh, oldest 20 and I create another volume of... Um, of archive shows that I do put up for sale. Uh, shirts are forthwith. Uh, nobody wants to be without a Visigoth Grassy Knoll t-shirt. Oh, no. so, and uh, I would ask you also to go there to take a look at that GM, that GM DuPont story also. I'll put up the Pat Tillman article. And, um, and you know, that, that's about it. Uh, we, don't, we don't do, we don't get crazy, but we, what, we, you know, what we try to do, we try to do well. Yeah, and, uh, well, if you, you certainly uh, do. You've created a, a fine body of work here over the last uh, few years. And, yeah, I encourage uh, everybody listening to this show to uh, listen to your show. Some uh, great stuff. And uh, keep up the w- good work, my friend. All right, and I'll link to you also, um, are, and I don't want to take up any more time, but are you, uh, are, are you doing a daily show now, Adam? No, this will be just uh, once a week. Once a week. I don't really okay. have a uh, set time just because my schedule seems to be uh, so crazy. But I'm going to try to do this uh, once a week. And if they, you uh, put that uh, URL to this show somewhere on your site, folks yeah. can just go there and to find out when the next episode will be. All right, good enough. Listen, thanks for having me on. It, uh, you know, it really has been. It's funny. You, you call people friends. You may never see them in your lifetime, but you've got a, probably a greater a propinquity with those you've not met and been 3,000 miles away than with your next-door neighbors. So <laughs> it's a, it's been a strange trip, but it's been kind of fun also. Yeah. Hey. Yeah. Thanks again, my friend, and uh, talk to you soon. Yeah, and best to you and your family also with the upcoming holidays especially, okay? Likewise. All right, God bless you. Take care. Good day. Bye-bye. And uh, thanks once again for all of you listening from the great American heartland.